Hey guys, I'm your host, Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Koobana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. The latest volume of Koobana, volume 11, is now out. This volume has over 80 different stories of creepy ghosts, abandoned buildings, frightening monsters, haunted locales, and much, much more, so do check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Koobana merchandise store. You can check that out at koabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at a few stories of the weird, strange, and downright creepy to see the year out. First, a young boy seems to fall ill every single year on his birthday, but this particular year, well, it seems something unimaginable has come for him. Will he make it out of this one intact? Find out in... Woman with the Pale Face. I grew up in a small rural village on the coast of the Seto Inland Sea in Shikoku. This all took place on my sixth birthday. It happened a long time ago, and the line between my childhood memories and reality is a little blurred, but I'll do my best to write it down as factually as possible. I'd never once had a good birthday experience, and for my sixth birthday, I broke out in a fever of over 40 degrees. My family decided there was no way it could be a regular cold, so they took me to the hospital. I tended to have my birthday parties on weekends or days off school, but on the actual day of my birthday, it was like this every single year. On my fifth birthday, I fell over in my slippers while playing on a rug in the tatami mat room, breaking my leg and forcing me to go to the hospital. My present that year was a 1 to 100 scale ZZ Gundam model. So anyway, my mother drove me to the hospital. This land facing the Seto Inland Sea merged with other villages in 2003 and is now called H-City, but at the time it was split up into H-Town and S-Town, and my mother took me to the hospital in S-Town. It was the middle of the night when we left. Cold medicine didn't work, and I sat in the back of the car with a blanket over my shoulders. People in rural areas are always concerned about their surroundings, so my parents didn't call an ambulance at such a late time, so as not to bother the neighbours. This rural hospital at night had few patients compared to the number of doctors, and the emergency room was rather calm. There was empty space everywhere, so my mother stopped the car in the large, empty parking lot and then went to reception to ask if they could see me. Of course, she couldn't carry around a child with a high fever, so she left me alone in the car. The sound of autumn insects echoed in my feverish, fuzzy head. I don't know how long I waited in the car for, but suddenly I heard a voice. Shige-chan, open the door. I thought my mother had returned, but looking back on it now, she had the car keys on her and it would have been odd for her to ask her feverish son to open the car door. Shige-chan, open the door, the voice said again. It was an awfully sweet voice. Because I thought that it was my mother, I stuck my head out from under the blanket and looked in the direction of the voice. There was a woman with a pale face, with both hands pressed to the window looking in. 
even as a child, I thought she was beautiful. But thinking about it now, beautiful was a rather odd word to use. From what I remember, her face was perfectly symmetrical and thus rather unnatural. She looked to be in her late twenties or so, and her face plump. The colour of her lips stood in dark contrast to her face. Hey, open the door. Your mother's already in the hospital, so I'll go there with you, she said. I was a child who feared disappointing grown-ups. But even setting that aside, for some reason I thought she would carry me into the hospital. I probably felt a little frightened being left in the car alone, and if I got out, then maybe that fear would dissipate. All of this was probably because I was worried about the situation at the time. I wobbled as I got up to open the door. Then, as my hand grabbed the handle, an indescribable fear came over me. I was too frightened to open the door. I had no idea why. And when I looked up at the woman's pretty face, I no longer felt relief, but rather fear. I shook my head to show that I wouldn't open the door, and I'll never forget what happened next. The woman leaned in even closer, and when I say leaned in, it was like the centre of her face was being pulled towards the car. I don't think I'll ever forget the voice I heard after that. Open up. It sounded like a man's voice squeezed from deep inside. My mind went blank, and I was so scared that I couldn't move properly. It felt like I was floating, and I was worried she was going to get inside the car. I covered myself with the blanket and cowered under it. Open up! The woman continued to scream outside. For some reason, it seemed she couldn't open the door to come in. I don't know how much time passed, but suddenly, the door opened. Please imagine the shock of such a young child at the time. Where on earth are you sleeping? We have to walk to the hospital. Come on, stand up. It was my mother. On the way home, I told my mother about what happened while I was waiting. She was shocked. Apparently, she thought it was someone trying to kidnap me, and at the time, I thought the same thing as well. But as I got older, I realised that I could clearly see the woman's face, despite the fact there were no lights on in the car park. When I remember her face, well, it was just slightly different to a human's, but the car was locked from the inside, meaning she probably couldn't open it from the outside. And personally, a weird kidnapper is certainly more frightening than something potentially not human. That certainly would have messed up my life. I have an uncle who loves hearing about strange experiences at family gatherings and such, and when I told him what happened, he said that maybe she was a Shinigami. When I think about it now, he probably said that without giving it too much thought, but at the time, I wondered if maybe she really was. Looking back on it, there's no way to be sure. The only thing I am sure of is that it actually did happen. By the way, the high fever was because of mumps. 
This next story features a rather odd item a man inherits from his father. A red antique bead. His father insists he take it to a temple to be disposed of once he passes, but he decides to keep it instead. A decision he'll soon regret. Find out why in Red Bead. My father passed away three years ago because of lung cancer, but before he died, he enjoyed collecting antiques. Having said that, we weren't exactly a rich family, so the only antiques he could buy were cheap ones from markets. Nothing like expensive plates or scrolls. When he was on the verge of passing in the hospital, he said something strange to me, his eldest son. All of my antiques are in the closet in the altar room so please take them to the antique store. Although, I don't think you'll get much for them. There's also one small item wrapped in cloth. Please take that to a monk to be burned on the seventh day after my passing. Why? I asked. I mean, it might not be worth money, but why not just toss it out? No, he said. What's inside that cloth is something terrible. Over many long years, I've learned how to hold the edge without touching it, but I don't think you'll be able to do the same. Please, just do this one thing for me. He always joked, even when he was ill, but this time, he was fully serious. After things settled after my father's funeral, I asked an antique store about the goods he left behind, and indeed, they weren't worth much money at all. I also found the item wrapped in cloth in the closet, and inside was a pouch for tobacco, a tortoiseshell comb, and a few other ancient items. I showed them to the antique dealer just in case, but he tilted his head when he saw them. Ah, I see your father truly was passionate about antiques. He understood them well. We cannot deal with these, so you should do as he said and take them to a temple, he said. On the seventh day after his passing, I visited a nearby temple and spoke to the monk about my father's wish. However, before handing the items over, I took a single red coral bead out of the tobacco pouch and for some reason put it in my pocket. I had no idea why I felt compelled to do such a thing at the time. Maybe I thought I could take it to a jewellery store later or something. When I got home, I put the bead in a safe in the altar room but things started to go downhill the very next day. I was on bereavement leave at work, and in the meantime, a mountain of work had piled up. That same afternoon, I got a call from my sixth grade son's elementary school, informing me that he'd fallen off the swings at school and broken his lower jaw. I rushed to the hospital, and while the doctor said it wasn't life-threatening, the injuries would still require major surgery. When I finally got home that night, my youngest daughter in the third grade suddenly burst into my bedroom with a horrified look on her face. She claimed there was a woman standing in the altar room. She went downstairs to go to the bathroom, but she heard a noise in the altar room, so she peeked inside and saw a woman wearing an old-fashioned kimono who seemed to be glowing with light. I tried to go with her to check it out, but she was too afraid and refused to leave my wife's side. As such, 
I decided to check it out by myself. The room was only two rooms away anyway. When I went in, there was an awfully raw smell inside. I turned the lights on and, of course, nobody was there. But for some reason, that single red bead I had put in the safe was lying on top of the tatami mats. It looked just like a drop of blood. I picked it up to return it to the safe, but then it started moving around in the palm of my hand. The next morning, my daughter cried in pain with a fever of 40 degrees, and she couldn't stop convulsing, so we had to call an ambulance. My wife was at her wit's end, having two of her children hospitalised so close after the death of my father. She was taken to the same hospital as our son, and my wife had to quit her part-time job so she could take care of both children. And after that, bad things continued to occur. I continued causing trouble at work with my constant absences, and on the rare occasions I did go in, I made some major mistakes. And then, 49 days after my father died, my daughter passed away too. She died of some unknown cause related to her fever. On the night she died, I returned home by myself and, when I opened the front door, I saw a woman in a kimono standing in the dark. She looked like a night worker of old. The woman raised her head and looked at me. Your father has restrained me all this time, but now I've finally attained my wish, she said. I didn't hear her voice with my ears, but rather inside my head. Then something dropped from her hand, and she disappeared. I stood there for a moment in shock, but when I turned the lights on, I saw it was the red bead that was supposed to be inside the safe. At least, it had been red. Now, the colour had changed into something that could only be described as black. The grandfather in this next tale doesn't especially like appearing in photos but he does enjoy taking them himself. When he passes away and the family goes through his photos, however, they discover a rather odd photo that he himself appears in. But is it really him, or something far more terrifying? Find out in... Strange Photo. When I was in the first grade of junior high, my grandpa suddenly passed away. He had a heart attack or something on the way back from a hot spring trip with my grandma. He had never once even been sick, so his sudden death took everyone by surprise. After the funeral, we all went as a family to my grandma's house, and there we found my grandpa's travel bag, which hadn't been touched since their return. My mother opened it so she could put everything away, and inside, she found a disposable camera that he had bought just for the trip. When she went out to buy some things for dinner that night, she dropped the camera off at a nearby Photoshop to get the pictures developed. When she looked at the developed photos, they were all of scenery of their trip, or smiling pictures of my grandma. My grandpa wasn't in a single picture. Grandma said that he loved taking pictures, but not so much appearing in them. He was also too shy to ask anyone if they could take a picture for him. If I had known this was going to happen, then 
I would have forced him to ask someone to take a photo of just the two of us, she said. But then my younger brother suddenly jumped up. I found a photo of Grandpa, he said, holding up a single photo. Grandma was standing on an observation deck, smiling, with few people around. But a short distance away, Grandpa stood looking at her with zero emotion on his face. That's strange, Grandma said, taking it from my brother. He definitely took a photo here, but I don't remember him asking anyone else to take it. Her smile was pained. It really was a strange photo. Grandpa looked like he just happened to be passing by and got captured in the moment. Maybe it's someone who just happens to look like him, my father said with a laugh. But no matter how you looked at it, it was my grandpa. He was even wearing grandpa's clothes. Maybe my memory is a little off, grandma said, and then put the photo back in the pile. We got back in the car to go home, and on the way, my father joked. They say that everyone has an exact copy of themselves out there somewhere, right? That's what it has to be. Hearing that, I remembered hearing something about how if you meet your exact double, then you'll die shortly thereafter. Don't be stupid, my mother then said, getting angry. Mum has been rather forgetful lately, so she must have forgotten that he asked someone to take the picture. And that, it seemed, was the end of that conversation. Nobody in the family ever brought it up again. A man goes mountain climbing by himself, but while he's in his tent for the night, he hears a strange tapping coming from outside. There's also a voice that keeps muttering, Excuse me but he can never find the source. Perhaps it's better that way. Find out why in Excuse Me. Sometime shortly after spring, around 15 years ago, I spent one night and two days following a climbing course, going from Dainichisugi over Mount Ide and then ending at Mount Dainichi. Just in case, I took four days off, so I'd have more than enough time to get there and back, and also have some rest. I planned to spend the night in a tent, and work finished late the night before, so I set off from Dainichisugi after 8am, took my time, and then stopped to set up my tent in a campground around 2pm. I had dinner, and then relaxed for a while, but as it started to get colder, my exhaustion took over. And so, I climbed into my sleeping bag. Suddenly, a noise woke me up. It sounded like a small animal banging against the tent, and then it stopped. Listening closer, I then heard the faint voice of a man. Excuse me? Another climber? I checked the time, and it was after 8pm. The air in the tent was cold and dark. Ah, maybe he's here looking for something to eat for dinner, I thought for some reason. Although it wasn't so common anymore, there used to be some young climbers who wouldn't take any food and would simply ask other climbers to share with them. In the old days, climbers had a strong sense of community, so such things were generally accepted. 
Well then, how much food do I have left over from dinner? I thought. And although I planned to eat it for breakfast, I opened the tent to look outside. Wait, there's nobody here. Outside the tent was just pitch black. The moonlight was so faint that it was basically non-existent, but as I looked around the area, I couldn't see any signs that anyone had even been there. And come to think of it, when I heard the voice and tapping on the tent, I didn't see a single light. Maybe I had misheard an animal and just thought it was a human voice. It was quiet after all. I decided that had to be it and went back in the tent, climbed into the sleeping bag and curled up. A short while later, as I was again on the verge of dreaming, I heard something lightly tapping on the tent. This went on for about 30 seconds, and then again, I heard a small male voice. Excuse me? The voice sounded like a man in his early 20s. This time, it was definitely a person. Where on earth did he disappear to before? I thought. Yes, what is it? I said, and opened the tent. But again, nobody was there. I'd heard strange things often happen in the mountains, so I got chills, but it wasn't like a wild animal was going to eat me, and it would make for a nice story to tell my friends. So I got back into bed again. But in reality, I was terrified. I couldn't go back to sleep at all. If I didn't hold it together, then I'd start panicking and no doubt run off into the night. If somebody was targeting the tent, then I'd have to run off with as little baggage as possible, and that would undoubtedly lead to death. I had to hold it together and just wait for morning. Trembling with fear, I tossed and turned in my sleeping bag, and then the tapping started again. That eventually stopped, and once again, it was followed by a man's voice. Excuse me? Ah, is it a tanuki trying to deceive me, I thought. In this day and age? I continued doing my best to ignore it. A short while later, again, there was a tapping, followed by a voice. Excuse me? Screw it. I'm going to ignore everything and go back to sleep, I thought. I wrapped a towel tightly around my eyes and ears and laid down to sleep. For a while, the only sound I could hear was my own blood pumping through my ears. Before long, I started to drift off. I didn't know how much time passed before I woke up. At some point, the towel had come off my head and the noises were gone. I looked at the time and it was after three, so I had apparently slept for about two hours although it didn't feel that way at all. I was supposed to wake up at five, but I figured I might as well get up already. The moment I got out of the sleeping bag, something violently started banging on the tent. It's him. God damn it, I thought, growing irrationally angry. And then again, I heard the voice. Excuse me. The quietness of the voice did not match the violence of the hits on the tent. I grew more and more afraid. Before long, the pounding on the top of the tent grew so strong that the supporting pole in the middle threatened to snap. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. I was already in a panic. 
I couldn't go out, but I couldn't stay in either. Again I grew angry at the situation, and I screamed. What the hell do you want? Stop that, right now! The banging continued for another five minutes, and then stopped. But this time, it wasn't followed by a man's voice. My fear started to fade. I had no idea what was going on, but I packed my stuff and then quickly left. I climbed Mount Dainichi, had some breakfast and coffee, and then returned to the tent I'd set up for the trip home. After taking a short break, I started dismantling the tent when suddenly I heard a voice whisper right by my ear. Excuse me? I knew right away that I shouldn't look, but I couldn't stop myself. I turned around. Nobody was there. A few days later, I discovered that a man had died while climbing in that area. It had to be him, I thought. He must have gotten lost and died all alone, so when he found the tent, he tried to seek help, or maybe he was just looking for a friend. I haven't had any other strange occurrences in the mountains since then, but I still carry around some salt and sake, just in case. A young girl is excited for an upcoming beach trip with her friends, but on the day, she wakes up with a massive, unbearable pain in her leg. A pain that may have been warning her against something. Find out what in... Pain in my right leg. This happened when I was in high school. During the summer holidays, Two of my good friends and I decided to visit a famous beach that was quite some distance away. We heard a typhoon was on the way, but it was still pretty far off, so we figured it wouldn't be a problem and decided on a date to go. We went shopping in advance for swimsuits and clothes, and we were already excitedly looking forward to our day at the beach. I was especially hopeful that I might meet a nice boy there, haha. <laughs> and so, When the day finally arrived, I woke up bright and early. But then I realised something. There was a strange pain in my right leg. It really hurt. It hurt like crazy. It wasn't a throbbing or tingling pain. It was different to a limp as well. It was like something was gripping my leg tightly, and it was the first time I'd ever felt pain like that before. I couldn't even stand. I'm not boasting, but I'm generally pretty good with pain, and even when I broke a bone once before, I didn't cry about it. Instead, I continued playing, so maybe I'm a little messed up in the head, sure, but I think my tolerance for pain is rather high. Anyway, this pain was so bad that I cried. It surprised even me. It was just that bad. I couldn't go to the beach in this condition, I tried to put up with it to see how it would go, but the pain showed no signs of going away, and so I sadly called my friends and had to cancel our date. They certainly gave me an earful about it. I went to the hospital after that, but I had to wait forever in the waiting room. It wasn't like I had an appointment, so there wasn't much I could do about it, but eventually the pain went away, and by the time I got to see the doctor... I felt perfectly fine. 
Despite the fact my leg felt fine now, too much time had passed and it would be difficult to go to the beach now, so I gave up and went home. I turned the news on once home and I saw they were talking about the beach I was supposed to visit. It seemed the waters had swelled because of the typhoon and two men had gone missing while they were out swimming. I felt bad for my friends not being able to enjoy their day because of me, but after that, I realised that not going was the right call. That night, I suddenly woke up and saw an old person sitting by my feet. I was surprised at this sudden scene before me, but looking closer, I realised it was my grandfather on my mother's side. He died of illness before I was born, so I'd never actually met him, but I knew what he looked like from photos. He had a serious look on his face, and his hand was on my right leg. The same leg that had been sore that day. Next thing I knew, it was morning. I didn't know whether what I'd seen was real or a dream, but it seemed the pain in my leg was a warning from my grandfather not to go to the beach. But I got to thinking, it hurt so much that maybe he felt bad and tried to make it feel better after the fact. This was the only strange experience I've ever had, but each year I visit his grave without fail so that I can tell him, thank you. And finally this week, we're heading to a strange lot in Saitama, where a company is having trouble selling houses. Because one in particular seems to be, well, haunted. Can the real estate figure out what's going on, or will they be doomed to keep this haunted lot forever? Find out what's going on in... Haunted Saitama Extension. This is about a house for sale that had a particular story behind it. For as long as I can remember, I've never had any ability to see or sense the supernatural, but this is something I experienced not too long ago. This might get a little lengthy, so please forgive me, but first, let me set the stage. I work for a real estate agency in Saitama. My work involves conducting inspections on properties and taking photos that can be used in sales advertisements. This took place on a large site with 20 newly built houses sold by a certain developer. Even though it was a new construction site, the lot had been sitting there for three years by the time we picked it up for sale. Because of its location and reasonable price, it was expected the lots would sell out within a year. But the seller was having a lot of trouble selling lots N, Q and R. And why were there no buyers? Well, there were rumours that this particular area was haunted. When sales began, lots H, I, L and M were sold cheaper than the others because of their location. In the real estate industry, we called those extension lots. They had an odd, irregular shape compared to the others, and so they sold for cheaper. Considering the state of the economy, many customers preferred price over quality and so these lots sold quickly. But roughly half a year after the sale of the M house, the resident was found hanging in a closet on the second floor. The husband had been laid off at work due to restructuring. The family then split, and all he had left was a mortgage of many tens of millions of yen. 
He no doubt chose to end things because he felt he had no other options. It's a little sad, but thinking about the state of the world at present, these things often happen. But anyway, at the request of the relatives, the M house was sold to the end user through the seller's agent. The fact this happened during the pre-sales period was a large blow to the seller, and the man in charge, Mr. Tanaka, alias, sighed and prepared himself for a long fight ahead. But having said that, within a year, all the lots except for G, N, Q, R and M had found buyers. It was around this time, however, that strange things started happening to the families who moved in. First, a small fire broke out in the L house. Luckily, nobody was injured or killed, and the damage wasn't bad enough to affect the surrounding area either. Then, the married couple in I house broke up and decided to sell the house. And then, the wife from J house died in a traffic accident. All of this might have been a coincidence, but with everything happening one after another, it certainly was creepy. And so, two years after the start of sales, the sellers approached the company I worked for to assist in the sales of lots G, N, Q, and R. We didn't look at the site any differently to usual and treated it like we did any other, first inspecting the lots and then the surroundings. When we went to visit residents living in the subdivision, we met an osteopathic doctor who bought the S and T lots at the same time and was now living there. He was terribly friendly and said to us with a smile, It's a little creepy that all these unlucky occurrences keep happening to the houses next to M, don't you think? Six months after that, and about six months ago from today, we found a buyer for lot G. All right, now let's sell the next one, we said. But around the same time, the doctor from S&T was found dead in his bathtub at home. According to his family, it was a heart attack, and there was no reason to suspect foul play, but this was the first thing to happen on the lots that made me feel uncomfortable after talking to him directly. In September, we were entrusted with the N, Q and R lots, as well as M. As terrible as it sounds, there were several people from the sales department who were excited when they heard a suicide had occurred there and they quickly rushed over to check it out for themselves. That place sure is something else, they said upon return. And when I asked what exactly it was about it that seemed strange, they all gave their own answers. The air there was so different to the other lots. The atmosphere was so dark. No matter how much I tried to ventilate the area, it still felt damp. But there was one comment I noticed that they all shared. There was a strange sound coming from inside the house that's hard to explain. That was seriously creepy. At first, they thought that maybe it was a pillar in the house, or perhaps the floorboard squeaking. But the house was made of wood and the sound was metallic or electronic in nature. They said it was hard to describe, but it was an odd uncomfortable sound. Then one of the salespeople asked me a question. Are you sure you don't have to include that in the important matters description? 
They were referring to the description of the property that must be given to customers before any sales take place. When it came to the M House, we had to notify prospective buyers that somebody had taken their life there, but it was unnecessary to note anything regarding ghosts or other unscientific matters. For a situation like this, where people would undoubtedly always hear the sound, then perhaps it would be better to notify prospective buyers beforehand. But at the same time, it would also be problematic to notify people about such a thing without any evidence, and so I decided I should go check it out for myself firsthand. Well, I dragged all of that out for a little too long, but let's get right into it now. As a result of all that, I went to visit the M House with a self-proclaimed psychic by the name of Sato, alias. Sato was rather frightened after he heard everyone's stories, but it was his job, so he decided he had to check it out and reluctantly came with me. As for me, I had already done research into the subdivision, looking at old maps and whatnot, and I found no evidence that the area had been a former prison or graveyard, so I thought everyone was just overreacting. Sato-kun drove us, and as soon as we arrived, he exclaimed, Oh wow, the air here is really heavy. This place is dangerous. But I ignored him and immediately checked the outside to take photos for the sales listing. The lot was surrounded by buildings on all sides, so compared to other lots, it didn't get a lot of sunlight, which meant it definitely did feel creepier than the nearby houses. Then, as I went to grab the key from the box hanging by the front door, I realised the front door was already open. Did somebody forget to lock it, or did someone come ahead of me and was already inside? I announced my presence, and then stepped into the house. From the entrance, there were some stairs immediately to the right, and to the left of that, a hall leading to the living room at the end. The door to the living room was closed, and although sunlight came in through the window halfway up the stairs, it wasn't much, and the house was very dimly lit. Sato continued making a fuss behind me. There's something terrible at the top of the stairs. But he knew that the suicide took place in the back closet, so I ignored him and stepped inside. The moment I did, I heard the sound. I can't go any further, Sato said, and immediately gave up. Eh? I said, surprised for a moment, but it was likely that someone was already there ahead of us and maybe they made that sound, so I ignored him and continued in. First, I opened the living room door to check out the first floor. The M house was a three-bedroom design with living, dining and kitchen rooms, plus closet space, with the bedrooms and closets on the second floor and the rest on the first. With all the bedrooms on the second floor, the first floor space took up roughly 25 tatami mats, and with no furniture, it looked quite spacious in the dim light. I could smell sewerage, which was no doubt because the water was turned off, so I opened the dining and living room shutters and windows to ventilate the area. As sunlight filtered in, I thought the house looked rather clean and neat. When I returned to the entrance to go upstairs, Sato was still looking at the second floor, muttering to himself, No way. No way. Who do you think you are? That comedian or something? 
I said with a laugh, and went upstairs by myself. Halfway up, I heard that same sound again. It didn't come from the stairs, nor the floor, but how can I put it? It seemed to be coming from the air itself. I knew that steel-framed houses could make this type of noise because of the stress on the steel, but I wondered if wooden houses could make the same sound. Can a wooden house make a metallic sound like that? If the wood was dry and cracking, then wouldn't it sound more like a snap? I thought as I continued towards the second floor. As I stood before the closet door in question, I prayed not to hear that sound again. Instead, I saw Tanaka-san, an employee of the seller's company, in a suit. Oh, Tanaka-san, I said. Ah, Shimizu-san, he replied. I heard voices downstairs, so I was wondering who was here. Good to see you. Well, if you suddenly appear out of the darkness, of course it's a surprise, I said. Did I scare you? If this house doesn't sell, then the other lots won't sell either. So at the very least, I come here regularly to make sure everything looks spick and span, he said with a laugh. I sympathised with him. It had to be hard being blamed by your boss for a house you couldn't sell for three straight years. I'm going to take some photos of the interior, so I'm going to open the shutters now, I said. Well, I'm done cleaning for today, so I'll get out of your way, he said, and then went downstairs. I then went into each room, opening the windows and shutters to let air in and take some photos. All the rooms, including the one where the suicide took place, were as clean as the rooms downstairs, and I didn't see anything strange, nor did anything weird appear in the photos I took. So, once I was done, I went back downstairs too. Sato-kun still looked frightened as he stood by the front door. Are you okay? He asked when he saw me. And who were you talking with up there? Huh? Did you go somewhere? I asked. No, I was here the whole time. I was wondering who you were talking to. Eh? Didn't Tanaka-san come downstairs too? Oh, come on, are you trying to scare me? What? No. The stairs are straight, so I would have seen him if he did. And besides... Did you not notice when we arrived that there were no shoes at the door? That's why I was wondering who you were talking to. The moment he said that, he suddenly looked upstairs. Shimizu-san! Something's here! They're here! He screamed, and then ran outside. A chill ran down my spine, and then I heard that metallic sound again. I ran outside with him. When we got back to the car, I asked Sato-kun about what just happened. He said that he saw several people pass not down the stairs, but directly over my head, as though they were walking in space towards the entrance. Then, once they hit the wall, they disappeared. According to him, that strange metallic sound was the sound they made when they disappeared. I contacted the seller immediately and they said that Tanaka-san had died in an accident on the way home from the site in August. That was why they outsourced it to my company, because they no longer had enough staff to handle it. Nothing strange has happened to me since then, and 
Although I feel bad for both the seller and Tanaka-san, but I'm not confident that we'll be able to sell it either. By the way, we still haven't sold the lot, so if you see an advertisement for an extension property in Saitama, then beware. Don't forget to check out Kowabana Volume 11, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to koabana.net now.